Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Welcome back to the One Degree Shift Podcast. With me, I've got Crystal Ho. And well, I'd ask or state your title as it says on the website, but I wouldn't exactly be accurate in saying what that is. Why is that? So we have opted for a self-managed approach here at Ikeometrics. It's been a bit of a shift and a learning curve for everyone. Some people get very attached to their job titles, and we totally respect that. People have worked hard to grow and to get those titles, get that seniority, get those levels out in the world and what's recognized in the public in general. We look for what's on our LinkedIn and those things matter to people. That's okay. Inside, it doesn't matter as much because here we are all accountable to each other not to just the outside world. We know what we're accountable to get done here. So in terms of a job title, we have roles. So I, for example, have 24 roles, which could be seen as a job title, but in essence, it's different accountabilities within the company. And in each of those roles has a list broken down of what I'm responsible for. And there's no hierarchical place that I have to go through to get those things done that I am totally enabled to go get my work done from whoever I need to get my work done from. And it's publicly listed. We have a system in which we look to that people can go, hey, type in anything, just a feature, a build function, anything, and say who's responsible for that. And you are enabled to go right to that person and get that done. It wasn't always this way, though. We've been talking a lot, even in past conversations, about the evolution of IQ metric from what it was to what it is to what it's going to be. You mentioned holacracy, maybe a quick understanding about what holacracy is, and then also the inflection point to get to go to holacracy. You said it was a big shift. What does that shift look like? Why was it necessary at the time, and where are you going next? So we just celebrated our 20-year anniversary, so I think it's fair to say we've been around for a while now. And we've learned a ton. We've grown exponentially. We've gone across the continent. We started off in a very self-managed approach. But as you grow, it's hard for people to understand their accountabilities for not to get siloed, to have that clarity of understanding who's responsible for what. And we noticed that people weren't delivering on deadlines. They weren't accountable for their work. You can see I'm using the word accountable a lot. But there wasn't that ownness. And we really want people to have ownership in the things that they do here. That's why we even offer a share ownership program within our company. You want to feel part of what you're doing. You want to understand the why you're doing it. And we were losing that as we were growing so fast. So what we had looked to and we had seen it through other companies successfully working was Holacracy. So we took this approach. We learned a lot about it. We hired a consultant to come in because we're not the experts. We have this book that everyone read in the company and then we all broke down into groups and we had this consultant teach our different teams about Holacracy and how it operates. Now, what we quickly learned was that the success of Holacracy that we had seen in other companies had come from much more already structured, rigid companies where we never were. So it was hard for us to adopt to this. It felt radically inhumane, very robotic in how it works. I really like the way that the process works with meetings, but we're very much a free-flowing ideating company. We have lots of entrepreneurs. Our best ideas are coming from our people. And some of that was getting shunted by the robotic approach of Holacracy. It's very much next year time to talk, next year time to talk, right? Oh, you want to continue on an idea? No, put it at the bottom of that list and then we'll revisit it, right? Where that can stop ideas from growing. So 
we always, when we adopted Holacracy, right from the get-go, we made a commitment to our people that we were going to stay true to our culture for our people, that we are a company of people first. And we were seeing that it was getting pushed back against. And you can't say you have to do Holacracy either, right? So what we did was adapted it. We started making micro tweaks to it. And now, in essence, we have rolled out the IQOS. So Holacracy is a system that helps you get your work done. It's not telling you how to get your work done. And nor is the IQOS. If you look at it like Android or Apple, it's a place in which hosts how we get all our work done, right? Your iOS on your phone isn't doing your work for you. It's a place where you can host your apps, where you can host your features, where you can host your projects, right? And you're always iterating on it. So if there's an update, you're going to do it. And if you don't, eventually it becomes obsolete. So you are obligated to stay up with what's happening in the company. When I look at some of the culture work that we've done within organizations, really what that comes down to at the end of the work that we're doing is more intentional building of how it is that we want our processes to be completed. That's what I'm hearing with Holacracy. That said, in many of the companies that we do this work with, not 100% of the people will agree on the direction that we want to take or how we want to take it. In in companies that we've worked with, we've seen 10, 15, even 20% of people resign or leave the company after a shift like this has been made. And I think that's a big reason why companies don't take this step. Did you see something similar? Were those people or should those people ever have actually been here in the first place? Were you able to put your thumb on this culture here at IQmetrics more effectively? And what was the result when you did? That's a great question. We always find that naturally the people who aren't meant to be here weed themselves out. It's fairly difficult to get let go here. We try and have really open feedback and people understand how they're doing at any time. But with the radical shift to Holacracy, we already knew it. Like the stats had already shown in other companies how much attrition was caused because of that. So we were expecting that. And even today, now we don't call it Holacracy anymore. We call it self-management, right? Because it's our own breed of it. But even today, now when we have an exit interview, it's one of our questions. How do you feel about it? So we really want to know if it works for people or what it isn't. And it's never the cause that people are leaving. So with that being said, what I'm hearing about the IQOS or this evolution, which you say is over a significant period of time. And at the same time, it still all happened pretty quickly too. What I'm seeing is that you're taking this one degree shift methodology or or Kaizen practice, if that's what we want to call it, and applying it on a regular basis. How is it that you get people internally so on board with constant change? Change fatigue is something we're very aware of. We do monthly pulse surveys to see how people are feeling. We keep them very, very consistent to ensure that it's the same kind of measures happening so we have a true read on what's going on. What we have incorporated into the IQOS is called the strategic meeting process. And it's something that we failed to do with Holacracy. And it's more about the actual structure of your team and the organization. It enables you to raise your voice if something's not sitting right with you on how that person shouldn't be doing that job or I want to be doing this job and something like that. You're enabled to do that. But it's really a one-page strategic plan where everyone meets monthly to know where their team is doing. They have metrics to line up against and it can change. It's not. It's a living and breathing document. It's published across the company. Every team has their one-page strategic plan published across the company and then can iterate how it's necessary as our entire organization's goals shift. What this evolution sounds like to me is like strategy at its finest. And it's about working on IQ metrics and not necessarily in it. I mean, this, this sounds like you've created time and space to think strategically about the function, the breathing of, of this company. 
research suggests now that we make 35,000 decisions a day, consciously or subconsciously. We're living in a distraction economy where our phones, maybe we check them 85 times a day. We've got the screen time apps that people are, you know, the, the statistics are pretty alarming in that we're spending between three and a half to four hours a day on our phones, 10 hours a day in front of our screens. Yet you've been able to take an incredibly high level strategic approach to the development of IQ metrics. On more of a personal note, how do you create time and space to think strategically about the moves that you're making and the moves that IQ Metrics is making? It's always people first approach. Even when it comes monetarily, when we're looking at our finances, a few years ago, this is something that's always been part of our part of our purpose. A few years ago, we had a massive project that left us and we had almost specifically built this Vancouver office to build out that project. And they left and we made a commitment not to let anyone go and to repurpose all of these people. Layoffs is pretty general across tech companies. A lot of, you see a lot of companies do that once a year or the bottom 10% of performers. We have the commitment where we have this place called the beach, where if there's no longer a skill set needed or there's no longer a role needed in that team, this person goes to the beach where they are able to look around the, the company for another position. With that said, I guess the question I have next is, is this practice a luxury? Can other companies do this? Is this margin-based because you can afford it? Or is it deeper philosophical approach to putting people first? It's definitely not something that every company can do. We are still a privately held company, which enables us to make these decisions. If we had a large board that we were reporting to, financially, a lot of these decisions wouldn't make sense. People-wise, they definitely make sense. and. When we do anything abrupt where we might need to change a bunch of roles and people are on the beach, we have people on site to ensure that these people are feeling comfortable, that they're feeling well taken care of, that they're, they are actively looking. They don't just sit there and say, oh, I'm twiddling my thumbs because I don't have a job, right? It's also radically self-reliant that they need to be looking for this job too. And it's giving that opportunity. It's a little bit of a buffer point. So no, it's definitely not for all companies, but it's a little bit of a more humanistic approach to treating people as people rather than objects you're moving within a company. What does that look like on the ground level, treating people like people? What would you say that IQ Metrics is doing with respect to your people that other companies aren't likely and could be very easily to improve the experience at work? We try and do full feedback loops where, like I said earlier, we're, we're doing these different pulse surveys and we're asking the people what they'd like to see and we're following up on that. And so it's not a blind ask. And we're showing the metrics when things happen with the iOS. That's the whole point of it is that we can try something out in one team. It doesn't have to be a total blanket approach. And we can try something else out in one area and then see the metrics of success in it and adopt it to another area. And that team can iterate on it as well, how they want to make it work for them. So there's no one size fits all approach when it comes to people. We're all different types of people here. We embrace that and we want everyone to be their truest self. So we, to ensure that we're still doing that, we need to be open and honest and have open communication. Sometimes people feel there's a lot of lack of communication in different large organizations. So we're trying to be really open about it. And sometimes it's nerve wracking because you're like, maybe we're instilling the fear in them that maybe something big's going to happen. But people really, really respond and resonate to that open honesty and that feedback and then understanding how they're playing into the big picture. I read a statistic last week that said half of the S&P 100 are hiring the same 37 job titles. And when we look at a talent shortage in Canada, the United States, in the tech sector especially, I think being proactive and allowing a potential candidate or a potential employee to 
understand the experience you're going to be getting into before getting into it is incredibly important. Otherwise, you get tenure as bad as it is, engagement rates as low as they are. What you're describing here with even yourself as an example with 24 roles as opposed to one title, how are you attracting the best talent? How are you making them aware of what they're signing up for before they sign up for it to ideally close that knowledge gap of the company before they take their first day on the job? We try the good, the bad, and the ugly approach where we don't try and paint it all as rainbows and butterflies around here. And we are always culture first when it comes to interviewing and attracting the right talent. We never negotiate on that. And no matter how much demand we have for a certain skill set or job title, we will never negotiate that. If that person's going to be a dick, we have a strict no asshole rule that we will still continue to look for the right person that will fit culturally and be a cultural ad because that also will enable them to grow within the company as opposed to fill that role, finish it and leave and find it at another company. How do you define, determine, analyze, understand culture fit? Is that a fairly subjective interview process or a series of interviews? Or is there some sort of matrix or criteria that people have to check off? How do you bring that human first, culture first approach into the recruiting process? So we have a team dedicated across the entire organization, dedicated right to the cultural interview process. They have no obligation to the team that is hiring to that role. So they don't have that need or that feeling that pressure to fill that seat. So they are true to it. And we have a, it's actually new this year where we're getting even more metrics driven is now we have a cultural check-in and a technical check-in. So before we were having an overall check-in where we're saying, how's this person doing? And it wasn't a fair assessment because sometimes they're failing culturally or sometimes they're failing technically. So what we've done this year is we've broken it out so that we have the team rate them on their cultural fit and then on their technical ad. So if there's any kind of, we call it a shoulder shrug, then it's someone we monitor. If it's like, yeah, they're doing okay. That's someone we keep an eye on to ensure that they're in the right position and they're growing or that maybe they're not right for this self-managed environment and they really need that to-do list every day where they're not going to thrive in this. So, So we just take a look at it sooner than later. With that team, I've heard of a lot of companies use a similar approach. But then what I've also heard too is that the accounting team could have a wildly different experience than the development team could have a wildly different experience than the sales team. And when you've got someone that's not tied to that team recruiting for it, there might be a gap in that individual's understanding of what really happens on that team that the person would be applying for. Two questions. How consistent is the experience across various teams? And how does the person who's trying to fill that role, even though they're not connected to the team, know what that life is going to be like when that individual is there and properly articulate that to the candidate that's coming in? That really hits home with us right now because we are growing these other companies within IQ Metrics. On a IQ Metrics basic level, there should be no difference. You should be having a great experience across the entire company as a person, as an individual, as a contributor. Everyone here should feel the same way when they walk in the door, when they walk out, how everyone interacts. It doesn't matter if you're on a different team. Everyone should treat each other fairly and equally and express themselves how they want to. In terms of the, that's on the cultural element, but on the technical thing, it's what we need to paint the clear picture on. This is the work that's going to be involved, right? So that's what might get skewed of was that experience. But on the cultural side, we want to ensure we are painting a good picture of, yeah, we have a lot of fun, but we work hard too. As we start to wrap up here, I'm curious, in your experience here at IQ Metrics, what is the most important one degree shift that you've made? And maybe not the most important, but one that's top of mind that's happened recently, where it was a bit of a risk. You perhaps didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but you knew it was a shift that you had to make that started with some small change along the way. 
I think even this big org shift of, the, of rolling out the IQOS and shifting it from holacracy, we are very aware of the fatigue management or of the fatigue feeling and just ensuring that it's communicated why we're doing it. So if people are understanding what's happening, that fatigue or change fatigue doesn't happen because it's not just boom, a change, oh, and another change. It's because you've been part of it along the way. So you understand what's happening. So it's not just sudden shifts. So incorporating people into that message and understanding what's happening is really important. And then I think most importantly, don't think financially first, think people first and make those decisions based on that. There's going to be a lot of decisions that are hard in an organization that are that doesn't make financial sense. But in the long term, if you are caring about your people, it's going to financially pay back to you. So with that being said, and perhaps to, to our last question, I think what Holacracy has enabled you to do is to have more effective communication across the organization. And, and that's sort of been what I've identified to be a theme of the conversation today is just strong communication, putting people first. For organizations of any size who aren't prepared or even interested maybe in making that change to Holacracy or you know, an operating system like IQmetrics has, what is one tip or one action item you give them to increase communication across that organization so that you can mitigate some of these problems that you've been able to do over the past few years? It starts with the individual leadership and identifying the delta between how an individual contributor thinks they're contributing and how the lead thinks they're contributing and finding that delta and seeing what do we need to change to fix this delta. What's the first thing typically in your experience that's changed as a result of identifying what that delta is? People saying, I don't even want to be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and then now having an organization where we have the flexibility to move in and move around in it and say, or take on another role or a responsibility. Crystal, thanks so much for your time today. Is there anything else that you want to add, share, give us today? I'm pretty excited to announce to our organization that we'll be going down to Mexico in February. So a little tip that you guys will hear before them today that they're going to find out later. What a perfect example of culture and people, more importantly, first. Crystal, thanks so much for your time today, and I hope you have a great day. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit ericturmundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.